and welcome to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM, the gadget show where we do not talk about new shiny, shiny things to buy, but instead about the value in the stuff we already have. Now, most weeks, Restart Radio is hosted by the team at the Restart Project, a London-based charity and social enterprise. But this week, you're listening to a takeover of Restart Radio. As volunteers and friends of the Restart Project, we actively promote a more sustainable relationship with our electronics. We don't do this for our day jobs, so please note that all views expressed in the following show are our own and not representative of those of the Restart Project themselves. My name is Ben Skidmore, and I'll be your host this week, but I'm joined by longtime restarter Panda, and Steve Cook, who's volunteering with the Restart Project to work on our data analytics. Now, this week we'll be talking about owning things for longer and what drives us to replace our devices, especially smartphones. First, I'd like to introduce our guests briefly. So, uh, Panda, you've been with Restart for a long time. Do you want to tell us about your relationship with the Restart Project? Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been re- I joined Restart about six months after it started. Um, uh, I've just wandered in the Restart party and uh, I've never left since. Mm. Uh, I've I find the um, the demystifying uh, how technology works uh, quite quite rewarding. I mean, that's I explain new technologies and uh, and legal aspect and that for most of my life. Mm-hmm. And so doing it kind of more hands-on in a direct approach was something that really attracted me. Yeah, agree, agreed that I, I came once and I stuck. Yeah, um, that, that definitely rings true for me. Uh, and Steve, you're spending time with us as part of a, a planned career break. Uh, what are you up to when you're at Restart HQ? Well, I think it's, it's really it's a very similar story to, uh, to yourself and, and what Panda said, that the first time I came to a Restart party event, it, it really, uh, something just clicked in the, in the event, the, the sort of the energy in the room and the enthusiasm that everybody had for trying to repair and, and do something as a, uh, a communal event. So uh, I've been to quite a few of those uh, those parties in the last six months. And uh, additionally, as part of the, the time that I'm, I'm using during my career break to, to spend some time with Restart in their headquarters, uh, helping out with the data analytics and the tooling that they've got around being able to get real insights into what happens at the parties and, and what devices are brought in and what happens after those events. So mm. the Restart has a lot of data now on things that have been brought in and we can we can uh, make some pretty uh, clear assertions around the repairability of certain types of gadgets. Yeah, it's pretty great that, um, you know, at some point, I think early on we recognised that if we can understand the longer impacts of what we're doing rather than just saying, oh, we fixed a few things and helped some guys out and some girls, uh, we get to say what the impact is if we can grow. Absolutely. You know, and, and it is a model that can grow because it's obviously a kind of open source where anyone who wants to join in can around the world. Yeah. But there is more than just the number of devices we fix. I think it's also teaching some basic skills to people who come to the parties. And I think that's even even if a device is not fixed, mm-hmm. uh, uh, when someone has learned a new skill, that is, uh, I think, a positive thing in itself. Yeah, yeah. And the knowledge that, you know, you may not make a fix, but you inform how it can be done or that it can be done. Um, it might be a missing part or something. Uh, and, and even as a, a third or fourth layer down, it might inform the next purchase to be more repairable. Okay, so uh, a bit of news uh, first. Um, I think a a few weeks ago we spoke about uh, on uh, International Radio Day uh, that the BBC were looking at the digital switchover for radio as we approach 50% listenership uh, going digital. And the BBC have actually announced they want to keep FM radio for longer, uh, which is good news. Yeah, obviously, um, you know, 50% of a a listening population doesn't mean that the other 50 aren't relevant. And I think the phrase they used was along the lines of... uh, uh, a diverse listenership is uh, is a good thing, so that's really good to hear. Um, and I think you know it would be a very much a horizon thing that we'd be switching off such a big part of our um, 
our media in this country. Yeah. And presumably that's particularly good for everybody that's listening to this show on resonance on a FM radio, mm. because that's uh, that means that that's going to continue to be available for for longer if we can if we can keep the FM uh, radio system up and running. Correct. I, th I think, and you know, from the the sustainability idea. There are radios everywhere, FM radios, and you know, yeah. you would make them all obsolete ultimately. You know, uh, so yeah, it's a great thing. Uh, and then uh, closer to the topics we're talking about today, uh, there was an article stating that the, I think the phrase was, uh, in today's phone wars, the camera is the only battleground left. So, the Samsung Galaxy S9 was released, and it's really not adding many new features. It's uh, it's got a better camera and some interesting tricks up that sleeve, but uh, nothing else. You know, screens are staying the same, battery life isn't improving. Uh, and so that leads us to think, you know, do you need to keep replacing things if uh, if it's not a new a new a new type of device every year? Um, so that's our kind of first talking point: is what makes us replace our devices anyway? Uh, it might be that it's broken, or it might be that it's old, and you want some new features or even performance. Uh, it could even be that software has not been updated and it's uh, vulnerable to more security issues than before. Um, especially with phones that weren't flagships, they often have less long-term software support. Uh, so let's talk about the first point. Uh, phones break. I think this is what really leads us to restart parties. Is uh, you know we've all done it. We've dropped a smartphone in the toilet or uh, broken the screen. You know. But f the phones don't just break; they also degrade, and particularly mm -hmm. the battery. The battery is the most obvious aspect of a phone that degrades over time. And obviously, there's been a lot in the press recently about the battery issues with Apple, but not just Apple devices. Mm -hmm. um, Panda, I think you you mentioned that the I've iOS 11.3 is coming out today, or is it? It's expected to come out. I think Apple has an announcement uh, later today and, and will likely release, I think it's been beta 6 or 7 now, of iOS, which should be released. And that, so that new version has the, um, in the settings the, an indication of the state of your battery. So uh, Apple had announced that when the battery is, uh, is quite degraded, to avoid the phone just switching off on its own uh, and, uh, and losing so your contacts at that point, uh, it would reduce the speed of the device on some, uh, some of its functions. But there was no easy way to know whether it was the case with your phone or not. So you could have the perception that your phone was slower, and possibly it was, if in fact, slower, but without knowing if it was really the case or not. And with that version, Apple make that visible uh, in the settings and with an option to... Uh, um, to say, I don't care, I still want the maximum performance, even if the phone would just switch off after a few hours, uh, I take that risk. Or I have the uh, the more smarter manage battery management that make a compromise between the state of the battery and uh, and the uh, the performance of the device. It also gives you an indication that if the device uh, perceives to be slow, it could be actually due to the battery uh, being degraded and hand that it's time to uh, to replace it mm -hmm. instead of replacing the device on its own. It's particularly interesting for on, on Apple devices, for devices so from the, I think it's the iPhone 5S, where until the end of the year, Apple has reduced the price uh, uh, to 25 pounds to do that. So it's, uh, it makes it even more affordable as well. And this is a good thing because the battery is one of those components that's like a gateway to the device. If, if the battery fails, the device fails. And, and as you say, they do degrade. They're um, one of the more, you know, a chip doesn't really change much over its lifetime until it fails, but a battery is very analog. It gets worse and worse and worse until it's unusable. And so for Apple to open the door to encourage people to be informed about when they need to do that and to make it possible is, is definitely a step in the right direction. So this has probably raised the awareness of 
the importance of the battery mm -hmm. in terms of the performance of the device as well as uh, as well as just the performance of the battery itself. Yeah, that's true. It's not it's not as simple as is is the phone on or off anymore. Yeah. It's, it's actually that they've made this uh, responsive system. Um, I, what I especially like is that they're empowering the the user over that one because uh, I mean I know that I would choose when I want the performance and when I want a safe battery. I think we all do that. It's also quite interesting that I think the people who were aware of this kind of uh, performance trade-off were kind of the more advanced users, the gamers who uh, pushed the machine to the max, uh, their PCs, and had huge fans to deal with, mm -hmm. the, uh, with the heat and so the, the, the power issues, so that the power is related to the performance. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and now that is kind of being pushed on smaller devices and for effectively a larger public, who comes to realize this trade-off. That's really interesting. Um, so there's actually, a because there's been recently a gaming smartphone released and uh, a few devices in that vein and we're starting to see fans appearing in phones, which is, it seems completely backwards, but uh, as you say, we're pushing for performance again, aren't we? Yep. Mm. And, and on the wider subject, not just batteries, um, in terms of repairability, uh, I think the current generation of flagships, so the iPhone X and the uh, Galaxy S9, as usual, are not especially repairable compared to uh, other models of phone or, or other devices. Um, and this can be a real driver. So if you haven't uh, got a device that is either repairable to you or at all, if it's, for instance, glued together, uh, this can mean, obviously, if there's a fault, you have to buy a new device. And, the, and I mean, you mentioned earlier on that uh, um, the battery so is one issue, but the, the screen is another common issue. Mm -hmm. And most phones, I mean, the ones that are more repairable, they tend to be either uh, um, opened back to front, so easy access to the battery, but you need to take the whole guts of the phone to get to the screen, mm -hmm. or front to back, which is the opposite. So you tend to have phones that where the screen is easy to replace, or the battery, but it's quite rare to have both the battery and the screen, uh, which are easy access. Correct, yeah. In, in a good case, it's lots and lots of work and lots of screwdrivers and screws to remove, and in, in a bad case, it's several layers of glue, in which case you may, you may have no chance, yeah. Uh, something else that, that drives purchasing of, of new phones rather than getting rid of old phones is if new features are added. So even if your, your older device is, is functioning as it always did, if there's a new feature you have to have, you're going to want the new device. So this is like a positive purchase driver. It's not encouraging you to discard things, but you will anyway. It's positive, I mean, if it's something that you really need. I mm -hmm. mean, for instance, the, the, the new... I mean, I've got uh, an iPhone 6 and the, and the new devices with this uh, operating system... Uh, support uh, augmented reality uh -huh. and I was very keen to uh, to get to use that until I realized that my phone doesn't support right. <laughs> these features and uh, and so the question was yeah should I upgrade to a phone that supports this thing and mm. I realized that yeah I mean I, you know I quite like to be able to measure a room without having to use a measuring tape and just mm. point my phone at it but I can still use a measuring tape I mean it's not a big deal and the uh, and so I realized that you know it was a nice feature I would I would welcome it, but it was not really a, a, a need, a needed feature. Uh, mm. And to, to tie that back to your initial point about uh, the radio, uh, one feature that is uh, that is needed is, of course, support of the current uh, um, mobile network uh, system. So right now uh, in the UK, we support kind of from 2G to, uh, um, to LTE. And in some countries, 2G has already been switched off. Yeah. Uh, I mean, before that, we had analog phones, and that has been switched off a long time ago. Mm -hmm. So the phones have to at least support the uh, the network mode supported by the network they own. So that's I mean that's something that 
makes the phone, uh, uh, and I guess radio in a similar way, I mean, quite unique in that if, uh, uh, if 2G is switched off, you know, if FM is switched off or whatever, if your radio or your phone support just that, then it's, uh, it's become a nice brick, but it's, it can give you the time, but not much else, basically. Mm. So uh, phone possibly a bit more because you've got Wi-Fi and so on. Uh, but it's uh, the, the network mode is something that is quite impo- a feature which is really important and the phone has to support that and the, the obsolescence so could be forced by the network side that's very true and while there's only been a few times as you mentioned that things are switched off we, we now coexist 2g 3g and 4g or lte um but it, it could happen any time that a government chose to make a policy really you know um there's a lot of competition for airwaves and for space for bandwidth so, for instance, right now, a lot of the um, the TV spectrum that was used previously for uh, analog TV is being kind of re- repartitioned, and it's likely it's going to be bought up by mobile phone networks to make room for 5G. So that's uh, an example of that. So on the on the topic of, of the feature set, um, and coming back to the idea of, of battery and battery life, why do we think that the battery... Uh, being replaceable is not considered to be a feature of of phones. I mean, if if there's clearly consumer interest in um, in having the ability to to replace the battery because it's accepted that the battery will degrade, and also if people are carrying around say extra power packs so that they can they can use the phone out and about for, for mm-hmm. more than say twelve hours, it would it seems to me that it would be a great feature to actually be able to have a second battery that you've pre-charged that you can just plug into your phone. I think we need to break down the perception that it can't be done or that it's difficult. Um, and if it was therefore done by making a phone that did have a replaceable battery and more and more people bought it, that would definitely lead to that being a feature other people had to keep up with, wouldn't it? I think there is a trend, though, that goes the other way uh, because of the other thing you mentioned, which is the uh, the phone down the toilet. Yep. And it's, <laughs> and you want to have the phone uh, that are waterproof. And, uh, and that means uh, that if you've got something that you can open yourself, that's harder to make waterproof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true, true. Very true. You're listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. This week we're talking about what makes us buy new devices and ditch our old ones. Uh, so the subject that we haven't really uh, come to very much is uh, long-term software support. So obviously, as previously mentioned, um, if they decide to switch off the network your phone operates on, this can make it a very non-functional device. Um, but likewise, if, if the company who produced your phone choose not to update the software to uh, keep up with security issues, which are more and more prominent in the mobile world, uh, that also makes it very risky to keep using your device. Uh, Panda, do you have much kind of uh, experience with this? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the question is the company you get your phone from, because You've got a complicated chain uh, with different commercial incentives, economic incentives uh, in making mobile phones. You have so the usually you deal with a network operator and you might get your phone from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people do, uh, and then you've got the hardware manufacturers who makes uh, the physical device, and you, you have the operating system uh, creators. So we can be the same company as in case of Apple, but different in case of Samsung and uh, and Google, for instance, for Android. So the, ins- the incentives are not quite the same. I mean, the biggest customers for the uh, phone manufacturers tend to be the network operators, not the end users. Uh, and the, the, so as long as they've got uh, uh, devices that will attract 
people to renew their contract or get new contract and so on. That's what the NetApps want. Mm. Uh, uh, not so much just to keep people using the same device. So, uh, so the, the 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 economic incentive I think have to be looked at. There, there was an attempt. I mean, when Symbian so was uh, was launched uh, in 1988 to create kind of a unified operating system that would work on all devices uh, from several uh, hardware manufacturers and uh, and the networks uh, so would push that with uh, um, end user being able to have applications for all these devices. Mm -hmm. That didn't quite uh, work out uh, in such a unified way uh, because of the also the pressure of the of the main customer uh, and owner of Symbian, which was Nokia. So who pushed for its own devices, the other manufacturers pushed for their own devices. Mm -hmm. And so it was then kind of more aligned to the release cycle of each phones. Uh, and so the, the, the economic tension uh, tends to, to, to break that chain uh, uh, because there is less incentive to maintain old code, uh, which is quite expensive to do. And I, th I think that, you know, this, this fights both ways because um, a, a symptom of that is having these fragmented operating systems and even a different version of Android on a different model of, of Samsung phone, for instance. Um, but that is partly because they release so many models. So some companies have very few, you know, especially Apple as an example, have ultimately every single phone they make is a flagship. And it's it had a lot of design, it's a big release, and they intend for the owners to care for that device and keep using it, so they support it. Whereas some companies will offer, you know, an expensive model, a medium model, uh, a simple model, and these other models in the flagship, you know, devices get, get fallen behind and might lose support within one year or, or less. And I don't think many people would want to keep a phone for less than a year. But then the problem is that the, the cost of the device usually is not uh, is not so much perceived by the end user. So if they could perceive the cost with all the externalities, so the real cost, not not the cost they pay to the netops, to the network operator, which then is inflated in a monthly bill and so that, but the real cost of the device and the cost of replacing the device on a regular basis, mm. then slightly more powerful devices, more expensive devices, that would have some uh, guarantee or expectancy of a longer lifetime might end up being cheaper. Mm. But you, that's an interesting point you're making about the, the software and the diversity, particularly in the Android ecosystem. But as a developer, how do you, how, how do you understand that, what that ecosystem is and where are you targeting to? You've got so many um, variations of format of phone, of the type mm. of the operating system, um, of the performance of the device. It, at least in the Apple ecosystem, there is a bit more uniformity mm. that you, you know that you're engineering for a relatively narrow product set. Yeah. In in Android, I can see that you have this sort of almost long tail of older versions of Android and, and phones which may or may not support whatever the operation is you're trying to do. It, it's also, I mean, that in the uh, in the iOS world, I mean, the Apple world, you get your upgrades straight from Apple, independently of the network operator, where for most other operating systems, uh, it tends to go via the network operator. So you've got the operating system manufacturer, of, in the case of Android, so Google, who does a version of, uh, of Android, that is then adapted by the uh, phone manufacturers for their own hardware, and it's then adapted by each network operators for their own network operator net, net, net system and their own apps and so on, which is not always welcome, but that's, that's mm -hmm. the reality of it. So it's uh, uh, even if one, I mean, it doesn't mean that all these companies have to be aligned in uh, ensuring that uh, the software is updated and then does reach the, uh, the end user which is also there is no good mechanism thing to always upgrade immediately. Google is making some efforts to uh, to have a more direct relationship so they can so people could be able to upgrade the software directly from them. 
But that means basically bypassing the hardware manufacturer and the network operators, which I assume uh, much create some tensions between themselves and their customers. There's also a hardware level complication, which is that you know um, there are different sub chips in each phone for the radio, for uh, networking, this kind of thing, and each one needs a driver. So traditionally on, on Windows, on, on, a, on a PC of any kind, uh, you would have lots of drivers built into Windows because you have a large hard drive and you, you plug any device in and it will just go, oh, yeah, I, I can run this. Phones are stripped down and they will have one driver or binary for every device, so, you know, inside the phone only. And that's where you get the complication that you can't have a universal version of Android unless you were to change your paradigm. Um, but I think we should try and push from the manufacturing hardware side and the software demand side to to create that, uh, you know, a single platform that we can then make as secure as possible. I'm not convinced by uh, that argument. Uh, <laughs> in the sense that, I mean, if you've got a window that is installed on a hard disk, you cannot move it for the different machine. It, it has only installed the drivers for that specific machine. If you install Linux or macOS on hard disk, you usually you'll be able to move it to another machine, to machine, and it will work like that. Mm -hmm. So you've got kind of dynamic loading and dynamic configuration, and uh, Android being kind of more or less based on it at some point, uh, uh, you can have this configuration. Uh, and okay, you might not ship all of them in the uh, in the ROM. You can have different uh, mm -hmm. options at download time or something like that. But at at the creation of it. It shouldn't make things that much more much more difficult on that. Mm. It shouldn't. Should is an important word. Um, having spoken to developers for phones, um, this is uh, system developers rather than app developers. They they assure me that uh, the binaries for these drivers are completely closed source, and uh, it's laughable to ask any chip manufacturer for the binaries. But I think this should be the way the the policy opens things up. Mm. I guess the third aspect on software is is that what we're demanding of the phone has moved forward as well. So True. We, we are, we're looking for streaming video, we're looking for um, apps which are doing a lot more and demanding a lot more of the device mm. than even just a few years ago. And that, yeah. as long as that expectation continues to move forward, then the hardware has to evolve to keep up and that means that there will be obsolescence of the device. Mm -hmm. Well, there is, and so, but again, it, again, it is about the needs, isn't it? So you have a form of obsolescence where it's not useful to you anymore. But I think there is a long sort of a trickle-down chain of people who could still use this device. Or as you mentioned, uh, Panda, it could be your alarm clock, you know, or it could be just for the internet at home. So I have a smartphone that's my alarm clock because I can store 15, 20 different times and switch them on and off each day as my schedule changes, which I couldn't do with uh, my clock radio that I also use. So these devices have potential use, um, although, yeah, maybe we need to establish what that is after it's your, uh, your pocket phone. Well, and, and this potentially leads into the idea of the upgradable phone, mm -hmm. so the modular phone where you can, as, as your needs change, that you can change out parts of the phone if you need a better camera, if you need a bigger battery, if you need uh, a faster processor, that you can swap in these parts. Mm. And these things do exist. They do. There, there are a lot of projects that seem to never release, and I think it's because the technology moves faster than the people who want to develop that technology in a modular fashion. Um, but it's like an ideal in the sense that we should we should push towards that too, um, because a it's repairable to be able to take it apart, and b it's sustainable if you can keep upgrading. I mean, I mean, desktop PCs are like this, and uh, I will only really use desktop PCs because uh, if one component breaks, I can fix it. Uh, and yeah. 
Well, I mean, desktop PCs are bigger than the laptop we are currently using. Uh, so, and, and it's the same problem with uh, if you think of modular phones, is you need to just to to be able to to um, handle the modules and the connectors they have. The connectors have to be relatively big size, otherwise you wouldn't be able to handle them. And uh, and so that makes phone data bigger, and most people want small phones. So so you end up uh, you end up saying, and then. If you want to have okay smaller, bigger batteries, that's still the same by the phone; it just lasts longer. But if you want to have a, a completely different module, I mean, I don't know, a microscope instead of a camera, or whatever, then you probably do need some uh, different drivers. Mm -hmm. And then you go back to the issue you were mentioning on uh, uh, where is the blob or whatever to to support uh, this specific device. So uh, it creates some uh, some difficulties which again might not be i mean as needed uh, as possible i think one successful uh, uh, example of modular phone is the fairphone 2 which uh, which is in a reasonable volume uh, does allow uh, several layers uh, several levels kind of uh, of modularity there is kind of one level which is really uh, really really easy by the end user and then a second level where someone uh, um, a bit more uh, investing in technology can open the mm -hmm. module and, and go, go a level deeper. Uh, but I think they, they did the new cameras, and that's I think they, they haven't yet yeah. released that many modules, new different modules than the one that came with the phone. Yeah, and also uh, Fairphone did run into some complications with supply of older parts because to, to buy from the manufacturers of those parts, you need to buy in, in big numbers, and until the phone has the support of that customer base to buy them, they might not be able to buy in stock, so they weren't able to ensure complete sustainability of parts for the original intended lifespan. Um, I read, interestingly, uh, Tefal, who make uh, kitchenware and appliances and pans and irons, um, actually have a policy that their devices should have parts available for, I believe, it's 10 years. And they they have actually ad attacked the practicality. They haven't just said this as a slogan. They said, we're aware that 50% of our um, long-term budget goes to storing spare parts for 10 years worth of, of items. So they know one of the main issues, which is the, the keeping of stock. I mean, I had to buy a gas hub in, uh, in Paris uh, a few mm -hmm. weeks ago. And on the receipt uh, uh, with it, it was mentioned that there, was, there would be uh, parts for seven years. Yeah. yeah and that, that, I mean, if uh, when you buy a phone, uh, you would have some indication on the receipt that there will be uh, software support for how many years and parts for how many years. Yeah. That would be a good step forward, yeah, it, of course. It could say expected battery life as well. But of course, with, with TFAL, with a kettle, then the, the function of that device is essentially the same as it was 10 years ago. And so it's reasonable to expect that the, the parts that you would use to, the, the key parts like the element, mm -hmm. would be the same as they, they would be from a model 10 years ago. For a phone, that's Obviously, it's not the, the other case. end of the spectrum. Yeah, it's correct. completely different. Yeah. I did find myself wondering because initially I thought TFAL saucepan, and I thought, well, you know, they don't wear out, they wear out rather than break. So unless you need a new handle, you know, uh, yeah. But uh, it's it's a step in the right direction. Being transparent like this, if we can get every company to move in that direction, we're we're starting to win, turning the tide. Yeah. Um, so I want to bring up one piece of interesting news that I just spotted uh, on the way in this morning. Um, so there's a kind of uh, air taxi being developed in New Zealand. So it's uh, self-piloting, uh, and it's a plane that you get in to go from A to B. It's got a range of about 60 miles. So it's kind of a crazy combination of autopilot drone, self-driving car, uh, and Uber, really. Um, so I thought that was quite entertaining, um, but it looks like development's going well. Um, but apparently they have the space and the people there to uh, to make that a reality, and the need because of the, the nature of the, the land there. 
So I thought that was quite uh, entertaining to try and keep up with that news. Yeah. Is it is it autonomous or is it remotely controlled, remotely it, piloted? Uh, apparently, it is autonomous, but it's um, overseen by a human. Yeah, they 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 monitor them. Yeah. So you've been listening to a volunteer takeover of Restart Radio. Uh, we run this on the last Tuesday of every month. Uh, we've got a few upcoming restart parties in London. So the first one is Saturday 7th April. That's uh, just over a week away. That's at Kingsgate Community Centre from 2pm to 5pm. And then Thursday the 19th April, there is a restart party at Remakery Brixton, which is 6pm uh, to 9pm. And there is also a, a volunteer induction before that. And then two events on the 21st of April. So that's one at Hackney Fixers. That's uh, 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. And the same time, 12 to 3 at Abbey Community Centre in Kilburn. So you can find out more at our website, which is http colon slash slash therestartproject.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook. I'd like to say thanks to Optinoise and Cassini Sound for our music, which was made with lasers, spinning plastic discs and discard electronics. Keep fixing! Thank <laughs> you.